So we're born of the Spirit of God, and when God does that, He changes the way we see life. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through his series called Close Encounters with Jesus. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. There's always a beginning point for anything you do in your life. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. And certainly, we cannot help but understand that Jesus' ministry here on this earth had a beginning as well. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Luke, chapter 4. Luke 4. We're just kind of looking at close encounters with Jesus, kind of a little mini-series. What does that do? Well, a lot of times we always think, well, everybody's going to walk away healed and happy. But, you know, today we're going to find that Jesus, after revealing himself to, who, uh, to his people, um, some people don't appreciate that. You know, to some, the Bible says, you're the fragrance of life. To others, you're the stench of death, depending on that person's posture in the relationship with God. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, Luke, starting in verse 14. Now, we remember that Jesus went and was baptized by John the Baptist. There was a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son whom I well pleased. And we remember the Holy Spirit set upon him like a dove. Then Jesus, the Bible says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And because he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, this is where Satan tempted him. Jesus being victorious every time he comes down out of the mountain and begins his earthly ministry. What was his ministry? Well, again, this particular week, we talk a lot about freedom. But freedom from what? This is one of the things that Jesus decided to, uh, and, and why he came, was to deliver us from the things that hold us back, those things that bring bondage and not freedom. Notice it says here in verse 14, Luke 4, Then Jesus returned in power of the Spirit, to the Galilee, and the news of him went throughout all the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. A couple of things we gather here. Jesus knew how to read. We also knew how he knew, we also knew he knew how to write. He wrote in the dirt. Remember when they brought the woman caught in the very act of adultery, thrown her, and, and they said the law says we should stone her. Jesus, what do you say? And so Jesus writes in the dirt, and we remember he wrote in it twice. And the Bible says, beginning with the oldest first, they all of the accusers left. 
Well, one of the things we find here, as his custom was, notice that, I've got it underlined in my Bible, and the reason why Jesus went to church as his custom was. I think that's a good custom to have, being fellowship with those that love God. Now, as we're going to read here, not everybody that goes to synagogue or goes to church necessarily loves God. There's a lot of ulterior motives sometimes in why people come to church. Sometimes it's because it's a great business opportunity to scratch other people's backs as they scratch yours. But really, when we really get down to it, what real true going to church is about is gathering ourselves, being refreshed by God's word, reminding us once again, and I think a good time to do that is once a week, to just remind us to thank God for all the things that he's given us. And so he says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of Isaiah, and when he had opened it, he found the place where it was written, and this is uh, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, set at liberty to those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. But what's interesting, he closed the book in the middle of a verse, verse 62, for the rest of that verse would read, excuse me, uh, verse 2 in, in Isaiah 61, the rest of the book said, and, to, and the day of vengeance of our God, he admitted, he closed the book. Now, I believe if Jesus would have read that, probably the, the world would have made a rap right there. But notice what he came to do. Let's look at this. This is what the Spirit of God will do when he comes upon us. And I always like to look and see, what, do I, what, what should I expect when I walk with the Lord, when I become a Christian? What, what are those things? Well, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The way of the world and the way of, of the devil is always an impoverished way of life. Because even though you may have things, those things may have you and you may be bankrupt. And so to preach the gospel to the poor, God brings hope and a message of life. The second thing it says he does, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. One of the things that Satan will always do in a person's life is break their heart. This is one of the things that I believe he does because he hates human beings. Is because, again, every time he looks at a human being, the Bible says back in the book of Genesis, we are created God's image. I believe every time he looks at human beings, he goes, ugh. So he wants to destroy us. So he, it says here, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. God wants to restore your heart. He wants to heal your heart. Preach deliverance to the captives. One of the things Satan will always do, he will bring you into captivity, into something. It may be drugs, it may be booze, it may be something, but he will always drag you into some kind of captivity that controls your life. One of the things the Spirit of the Lord does is set us free. Understanding that there's a personal bondage that can happen that you need to be set free from as well. And so it says to preach deliverance to the captives. Now also one of the things Satan does is he blinds us to recover the sight of the blind. Do you know when you're not walking in the Lord, you see things 
not the way they really are. And this is one of the things that the devil does. He, um, I, I don't know if you ever wore sunglasses after your kids have gotten a hold of them, but they are smudgy. And you put them on and you go, what am I looking at here? Everything's blurry. And well, the thing is, the devil does that to our vision. He gets a hold of our eyes and he blurs us to what's really going on. We don't see properly in this world. And what appears to be something that's going to make us happy and make us free, we buy into the chili only to find out it doesn't satisfy. And so this is one of the things that he does. God corrects our vision. The God of this world, the Bible says, is Satan, and he's blinded the people's eyes that they would not see properly. Notice it also says, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. One of the things the devil always does is oppress people. This is why you get bummed. Sometimes I've talked to people, they go, I'm just unhappy. What's the matter? I don't know. I'm just unhappy. Oppression. That's the devil doing that. You know, the Bible tells us to be thankful in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning us. When you're happy, you're refocused on what you have, not what you don't have. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but I can always be unhappy when I look and see sometimes what maybe somebody else has or what I have isn't good enough or whatever. And that can bring about a a sadness sometimes or an oppression or I'm, I'm not happy with what I have. Well, God says, focus upon what you do have. And again, we realize that freedom is not what we have, but what we have our faith and trust in, and that's in him. And also notice to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. When is this time in which we transcend from living in the world, living oppressed, living blind, living poor? When do we move out of that? Well, there's a point in, I believe, in every person's life where they come to Christ. This is where the Bible says, Jesus said, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. And we remember Nicodemus in John chapter three says, well, what do I do? Get get back in my mom. How does this work? And he goes, no, no, you need, just as the water breaks and out comes the baby, a man is born of the water. So you need to be born of the spirit. And so we're born of the spirit of God. And when God does that, he changes the way we see life. And so to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the Bible says today is the appointed day of salvation. Jesus closed the book. It wasn't time for the judgment of God. I believe that is yet to come. Sometime during the tribulation period, we're going to experience that. This comma here is a very long period of time, about 2,000 years. But the Bible says he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now the word being, where it says here, being sat down is important because in those days, the people would stand and the rabbis would sit down and teach. So when Jesus got done reading, he sat down and postured to teach the people. Now, what was he going to teach them? Well, he says to them, he closed the book, gave it back to the people, and sat down. And all the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. I mean, this was pretty dynamic because now Jesus is setting himself up to be a teacher like a rabbi in the synagogue. This was so radical. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Jesus was speaking to them words from God that they understood. And and again, friends, there's a lot of verbalized religious garbage that's out there that 
you know, I, I've, had, I've listened to sometimes stuff, and, I, and as somebody that studied the Bible for a lot of years, I don't have a clue what they're saying. They'll, they'll bring up some religious thing or approach to God, and they've got it all mixed up, and, and I just go, wow, the message of the gospel is simple. Remember, Jesus, when he would teach, the little kids were trying to get to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around little kids very much. But little kids don't hang out where, where there's not something going on that they understand. If somebody starts rattling off about the, uh, you know, the laws of thermodynamics, I can guarantee the kids are running for the door. But you start talking about something that they relate to, something that they can, that they, about maybe love and how, how a dad wants to take care of them. Those little kids are around. And the Bible says they were making a press upon Jesus to get to him. The disciples tried to keep him away. And Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. That childlike understanding, we want to get to God. And yet at the same time, he could confound the Pharisees. That's a, that's a good Bible teacher, by the way. Somebody that can do that. So it says they all bore witness and marveled at the gracious words proceeded out of his mouth. I mean, Jesus begins to explain to them this great and wonderful prophecy out of Isaiah about there was going to be one that was going to come and set the captives free and, and make things right. By the way, there's hardly a movie you will ever go see in any movie house that in some way doesn't have this picture built into it. That there was a really neat village and then a villain came along and made it all bad and then a hero comes in and takes care of the villain, uh, the villain, the villain and then makes the town a great place again. Well, that's the message of the gospel. God put man in a beautiful garden, had fellowship with him, the devil, the villain comes along and through lying and deceit gets man and woman removed out of the garden as well as their descendants. But then there was a man that came on the world scene named Jesus who corrected all the things that the villain, the devil, did in the garden and restored that relationship with God and then promises a place with him forever. That is the message of the gospel. Well, we find here that... He says, today, this has come true in your ears. And then they all said, well, is this not Joseph's son? And they said to him, and by the way, is this not Joseph's son? They're saying, we know your parents. We saw you grow up. By the way, any one of you that ever tried to witness to your parents or your grandma or grandpa, they just kind of pat you on the head and go, yes, honey, I know all about that. We knew about this God thing years ago. And you, no, mom, dad, dad, mom, no, no, that's not it. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It isn't religion. It isn't joining a church. It isn't signing a pledge card. It isn't selling flowers in airports. It isn't going door to door. It isn't giving all your money. It isn't joining a church. And I know, honey, you just shut up. You know, that's kind of the way they kind of do that. That's why the Bible says a prophet's never welcome in his own country. That's why uh, uh, you as a family member are not often welcome in your own family. Why is that? Well, because you're bringing them a message of hope, but they know you. They know you're, you know, I used to change your diapers, you know, and you're telling me that I need to get saved. Shut up, Johnny, and just get out of here. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. So, says, and so he said to them, you will surely say the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Pernum, do also here in your country. Now, evidently, Jesus 
When he came down out of the mountain, as we look at this, it says that he uh, went with the power of the Spirit into, uh, into the Galilee, and he was doing miracles. And the miracles of Jesus were spreading, and people began to hear about that. And a lot of people wanted to see a miracle. I don't think so much to, to verify who Jesus was is they were looky-loos. Uh, you know, it's very much probably like uh, we might be flipping through the channels and come across one of these magicians that are on TV and they're going to make a submarine appear on the stage. And we go, whoa, how'd they do that? And then you begin to find out what their trick was. That, you know, it was really a flat piece of cardboard or whatever. And then they hold the sheet up and they roll the, the flat cardboard into a tube and pop a couple ends on it. And wow, all of a sudden, here's an instant submarine on a on a stage a lot of people just want to see something i I don't want to believe anything just show me something and so they began jesus realizing their heart began to say to them they said they said um do a miracle here like you did uh in capernaum like you did and do one here in your own country and he said to them assuredly i say to you no prophet is accepted in his own country But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now you might say, what's all that about? I'll explain. We live in a world that we're trying to overcome prejudice, I think, a lot of times. Well, there was no greater prejudice during the time of Jesus than Jews versus the Gentiles. The Samaritans were caught halfway in between and in share song, half-breed. Well, that's what they really were, the Samaritans. So you had the Jews, the Samaritan half-breeds, and then you had the Gentiles. The Gentiles actually taught, or the Jews actually taught, that Gentiles were only put on earth to be thrown in the oven of hell to make it hotter. (laughs) Talk about prejudice. Jesus comes along with these inflammatory Remarks. Now, here's one of the things. Jesus was here in his hometown. He came to bless them. And rather than accepting him, they said, well, you're Joseph's son. We know who you are. You don't, even though we've heard about your miracles, even though we've heard about all these things, well, you're, you're just a local. Jesus said, no prophet's welcome in his own country. But then he begins to break some things through their traditions. He said, you know, there were a lot lot of widows in the days of the great famine. But Elijah wasn't sent to any of the widows of Israel. He was sent to a Gentile woman widow. That's what all this about Zarephath in the region of Sidon, that was outside the borders of Israel. In other words, God sent this great Jewish prophet, not to the nation of Israel, but to the Gentiles. Now, you got to realize at this point, their little ears are perking up and starting to smoke a bit. What? God would have something to do with those heathen pig slime Gentiles? 
And then he even makes it worse when he says, And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now, for many of you that don't know the story, the, Naaman had this leprosy, and he was a Gentile. He was a Syrian and actually an enemy of Israel. And he writes a letter to the king saying, I heard that there was somebody in your land who could heal me. I want to be healed. And the king got angry and tore his clothes and said, who am I to be able to heal this person? This guy is trying to start a, a war with us. But there was a servant girl that had been captured and said, you know, there is a person in, in, uh, in Israel that could heal your master. Uh, his name is Elisha. And so he sent for him. And we remember the story that Damon comes with his entourage and he shows up and, and um, a servant comes up and knocks on the door and says, my master's out in the chariot and he wants to be healed of leprosy, Elisha. Can, can, you, uh, can you heal him? And he said, I just tell him to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Well, the servant comes back and said, Elisha said to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman became furious. He didn't even come out. He act, the Bible says he didn't even come out to my chariot and wave his hands over me or anything. He just said, go wash and be cleansed. He goes, the rivers in Syria are much nicer than the old skanky Snake River, Jordan River. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if you ever swam in the Snake River, but when you can't see more than three foot down in the water, it's funky. It just is. I mean, I mean, uh, I don't know how many people have ever been down in the river down here. I, I, I have pieces of boat prop on rocks that you can't see this far under the water, three foot underwater. Well, the thing is, Damon was furious. Our rivers are a lot cleaner. In, uh, uh, and so he goes away in a huff. And his servant said to him, you know, he said, uh, pardon me, but I just want to tell you something, Naaman. He said, you know, if that prophet of God would have told you to do something hard, you would have done it. But all he said to you is wash and be cleansed, and you refused to do it. I mean, what you got to lose? Naaman thought about it and said, okay, let's go. So he goes down. Does the dippity do in the water? Number one, yeah, still there, just as I thought. Number two, yep, still there, just as I thought. Number three, on up to number seven, and he dunks in the water the seventh time, and he comes up. His skin was completely healed. Shocking, amazing. Naaman became an instant believer in God. Well, the thing is, is that we realize this. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. Why is that? Because many of the Jewish people believed they inherited their spirituality from their parents. They would do this to Jesus, our father Abraham. Now, we don't have a personal relationship with God, but our father Abraham did, and that's what we're hooking our boat to. That was the idea. So this is what the spiritual blindness, I believe in part that blinds the nation of Israel at the time of Jesus and even today, is spiritual pride thinking you can inherit something that God wants to give you. Well, that's the problem. Well, do you want to accept Christ as your Savior? I'm all right. My money says in God we trust. A Christian nation. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. 
though we're pretty much a post-Christian nation now, but a lot of people believe that. Well, my mom, I was baptized when I was a baby. I lived like the devil, but I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, is that going to buy you anything on Judgment Day? No. It's a personal relationship with God. It's not ritual. It's not mechanics. It isn't like you're going to the store. I would like to buy some eternal life, please. Well, I've got some of these good works. I'm going to put on the table. Can I trade? Hey, how much can I get for this, you know, waxing my dog and helping blind cats across the street? What can, what can I get for that? God goes, nothing. What? The Bible says all our righteousness this filthy rags. There's nothing I can do to merit God's favor or a relationship with Him. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.